Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here with Disneyland for Designers, episode 98. I'm making a companion piece for a video that I'll be dropping over on Hey Bricky this week. That's my main YouTube channel where I went around and I talked to many citizens of Disneyland, asking them what they're thankful for this year during Thanksgiving at the Disneyland Resort. But I realized that I should also maybe share what I'm thankful for. And by doing so, I'm going to tell you what I'm thankful for at Disneyland this year in every single land in Walt's original Magic Kingdom. And maybe you don't care about my thankfulness, but maybe you'll care about my rankfulness. I rank each land from my least favorite to my most favorite and tell you what I'm thankful for this year, an episode of Disneyland for Designers 98. What I'm thankful for this year at Disneyland, and hopefully it'll help you think about what you're thankful for too. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's podcast was made possible by my friends over in Club 1313. I want to thank Scary Gary, Anna, as well as the Federalists coming through hard, and also Kristen W. Thank you folks so much for supporting today's podcast. If you'd like to become a part of our community and get into our amazing Discord, please go over to club1313.com where you can join the community, support the content, but most importantly, make new Disneyland friends. And speaking of Disneyland friends, let me tell you about one of my favorite people to go to the park with. My wife, Beth, has created an amazing book called Holiday Harmony, a compassionate guide to balance eating and living during the holidays. This book is 45 pages. It will help you get through the holidays, enjoy those special treats or meals that you want to have, but guilt-free because there is always a path in the middle where you don't have to go so hard on the dieting that you sulk and you have a depressed blue holidays because you're just like, oh, I wish I could eat this, but I'm trying to diet. And on the flippity flop, just because you have one piece of cake doesn't mean you need to eat the entire thing. An amazing 45 page book with workbook pages so you can actually put in the work and help yourself navigate to making the best health decisions possible so that when the new year comes, you don't have to feel like the last two months just took it out of you. It's called Holiday Harmony, a compassionate guide to balance eating and living during the holidays. It's available over at her website, BethManosBricky.com. Use the coupon code Bricky, that's me, and get $5 off, off of an item that's already incredibly affordable. That's BethManosBricky.com, coupon code Bricky. Let's get started with episode 98 of Disneyland for Designers. What I'm thankful for this year at Disneyland and each land rank from least favorite to mostest favorite. Friends, on the first day of the holidays this year, I went around shooting my holiday video, but I also love going on the opening day of Christmas because so many great people show up, like people that are passionate about the park, people that need to be there because they love Disneyland and they love the holidays. It's one of my favorite days of the year because of the crowd that particular day brings out. So walking around with my camera, I decided Anybody who said hi to me, I would ask them, what are you thankful for this year at Disneyland? But I got so many great folks telling me so many things they're thankful for, I decided to leave myself kind of out of the video. 
let it be a video for ultimately the thing that I'm the most thankful for, spoiler alert, all the amazing people that are the community of Disneyland. But on today's podcast, I thought it would be fun to tell you something that I'm thankful for in each and every land in Walt's original Magic Kingdom. But if gratitude isn't something that gets you, then maybe my attitude will, because I've also ranked all the lands from my least favorite to my most favorite. So let me tell you, starting at the very bottom, what I'm most thankful for in, you've guessed it, Tomorrowland. Somebody please hand me a shovel so I can put Tomorrowland out of its misery. I know that I give Tomorrowland a lot of flack. Here lately, I have really come to appreciate Pizza Planet because I've now seen all four Toy Story movies. And yes, I am a Toy Story expert. And did you know that Pizza Planet is a restaurant inside of Toy Story? And it's a major plot point. Wild. Had no idea. So I like going there because it makes me closer to the source material that I'm an expert on. But if I had to tell you one thing, and I'm being honest here, that makes me thankful about Tomorrowland, is there's the whole quote, oh, Disneyland will never be completed as long as there's imagination. And that's just it. The thing that Tomorrowland gives folks like myself and so many of the folks that consume my content and so many of my peers, Tomorrowland gives us all speculation. Because we know Disneyland will never be completed, it will never be done, and Tomorrowland is in a horrible current existence. But it gives us the ability to walk through there and to, if anything else, dream about a better tomorrow. The amount of energy that Tomorrowland has taken from the community, the amount of speculation and imagination, it truly is a gift because the land that is themed after a better tomorrow, literally makes all of us dream about a better tomorrow. What I'm thankful for is that even though Disneyland keeps scaling and growing, there are some corners and parts of the park that remind us of lost years or lost decades. And one of those that I'm most thankful for about Critter Country is that quiet, dead-end corners still exist. Before Star Wars Galaxy's Edge showed up, it was impossible to actually do a loop around the entire park of Disneyland. There were just dead ends. But Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, taking out the backstage area, finally created a loop to where one could walk around nearly the entire park. But now the heart of Critter Country is a little, small, quiet corner. Still has the 70s vibe that it was designed around. Still has the patio outside of the old arcade where you can stand out there, cast a little bit of shade over yourself, and just take it slow. Because everybody else is either shopping, ripping Winnie the Pooh, or staring at Tiana's going, huh, wonder if that's going to be any good. There's still quiet spots in that little dead end. Whether you go over to the water side where you can see the waterfall as folks are having a good time coming out of Winnie the Pooh, or if you go over on the other side where I do believe is the gateway to Disneyland's potential future, if anything ever happens, across the street for Disneyland Ford. But for right now, Critter Country still exists as a quiet corner, a dead end inside of a park that is full of life. But going back there sometimes and forcing yourself to take it a little slow, 
is always something to be thankful for. Now this next ranking of a land is probably going to rub some of you the wrong way. But hey, there's no wrong way to Disney. And everybody has their own favorites. And everybody has their own unfavorites. And I definitely have to put in my unfavorites at the bottom of the list is Adventureland. I know a lot of people, that's one of the holy grails. It's one of the original lands. And a lot of folks really love it. I happen not to. It's a narrow hallway of a land it doesn't really take you anywhere that lives up to the name of adventure. And it has some of the tightest pinch points in the park. However, if I have to say something kind about it, and I can because it's full of beautiful design, there's just not enough of it. It just doesn't tell a complete story. And that's okay. As the park evolved, it became a thoroughfare to get over to other lands that go beyond it. And I think some of those lands hit the design aesthetic a little bit better. But if I'm in Adventureland, I'll tell you the design decision that I am very thankful for because it's kind of crazy that it still exists. When we look at a park that currently has gone around, reduced curbs, has reduced the narrow walkways, has tried to make a park that is as friendly as possible for large crowds that Walt Disney could have never imagined to explore, Adventureland is still dangerous dangerously dark with adventure at night. Adventureland at night is so dark sometimes it is hard to walk through it because they keep it just under the hush of iridescent lights that are kind of going on and off. Almost a flicker of a lantern or a candle or a fire off in the distance. And I love that effect, even though sometimes it certainly affects how you walk through the land. But I can't believe they still keep it that dark. And I feel like it's only a matter of time before it'll have to brighten up to lighten up the load that has to roll through there. But for right now, when I do walk through Adventureland at night, when you can hear the little echoes of all the different attractions in a unique harmony that is Adventureland, I love how dark it is. And if you think that's a cop-out, then I'll tell you, I also like the Harper Golf Window. Because if there's anybody from the original crew that designed Disneyland, if I could hang out with them for an afternoon, after thing Harper would probably be one of the wildest dudes you could ever meet that was one of the first hands that built Disneyland. Another Disneyland that I love, but it suffers from being one of the original lands. Because the original lands had to kind of open up and give way for the future. So it's a little bit hard to judge them because they've had to evolve as the park's design has evolved. And this next land at one time was the biggest, the most adventurous and the wildest in the West, but it's slowly been scaled back and cut back. Frontierland is kind of a small sliver of a land that it used to be when literally the whole Western end of the park was Frontierland. It didn't make sense, throw it out in Frontierland. Need some horses, some ponies? Throw it out in Frontierland. Just throw it out there. The wild west of the park. And literally the western end of the park was full of adventure that was Frontierland. And now it's kind of been reduced down to another what I refer to as a hallway land. A land that doesn't have a definitive endpoint. It doesn't have a big keyhole or a big reveal that you look down. It's just kind of a land that is a breezeway 
over to the next thought, over to the next chapter of the story. That is why Frontierland is low on my list. That being said, I love the aesthetic of it, I love the vibes of it, and I love walking through it. And I have a feeling I'm going to love walking through it even more because what I'm thankful this year at Frontierland is that they have finally decided to pull back on pin trading. Pin trading has gotten out of control in Frontierland in a way that I never could imagine. Why are they tolerating this? When you would go into Frontierland and you would see basically flea market booths inside of Disneyland where people would take over several benches, they would have lights at night. You never kind of knew what the angle was, but you always had a vibe that just something's just not right. Like, do people really love pens this much? They just want to trade them for free. There had to have been a angle of making money on it, but I never quite figured it out. I always wanted to go undercover and break the pen trading at Disneyland, but I don't have to worry about that because they've pulled back on it. And that might bum out some people, but for me, aesthetically, it just didn't feel like Disneyland. Part of the things that you love about going to Disneyland is escaping the hustle or people trying to sell you things. And I'm sure it's probably fun to talk to other pen enthusiasts and maybe to get a good swap or get a good trade going. But I just think that it was confusing for the brand, confusing for the guests, really confusing for out of town guests. Like, What is happening over here? What is going on? How did I wander into a Wild West flea market? So for the sake of clean sight lines and keeping everything on brand and keeping some of the parts of the outside world away from the fantasy of being inside of Disneyland, I am happy that pin trading has been somewhat reduced inside of Frontierland. You're not allowed to have anything bigger than a card. You're not allowed to do it after three o'clock and you can no longer take over the benches. Thank God someone thought about the benches. Moving up my countdown of lands that I love from least favorite to most favorite, I go to the brand new, reinvented, although not perfected, Toontown. Gasp, they say. How could this man think Toontown is a better land than Adventureland and Frontierland that are some of Walt's original creations? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I base the lands on design aesthetic and I base them on how they're put together. And you may not be aware of this. Toontown may not be your favorite. And I understand, I get it. Is it really anybody's favorite land? But why I rejoice it and why I think that it is a great land is because it set up a template. Toontown actually was maybe accidentally or purposely, who knows, the first land of the modern era of theme park lands. If you look at Galaxy's Edge, Pandora, Witch Boy World at Universal, it uses a fundamental design of Toontown, which is the one way in, the forceful way in. Now I know you're saying, but Batu has three different entrances. Yes, but they all have the same aesthetic as Toontown. And Cars Land has one of these, that force keyhole that puts you in. If you look at the Nintendo World, Super Nintendo World, whatever it's called, Mario Land at Universal, it has the idea of Toontown embedded in it. Although it's probably a lot more modern and, and a lot more exciting and fun, it has the skeleton 
the blueprint of Toontown where when you go under the railroad, it resets your expectations. And then when you pop in there, perfect sight lines to keep you catch captured. If it was possible to be that inside of Frontierland, it'd be amazing. If it was possible to feel that way in Adventureland, it'd be amazing. But just like Avengers Campus over in Disney's California Adventure, sometimes you just have to have hallway lands. Adventures hallway is just that, Avenger hallway, just kind of takes you to the next thing. And that's just gonna happen if you want the entire park to be stitched together. But Toontown, it has different neighborhoods, it have different regions, different design aesthetics. It just tells a different story when you're in a different part of it, but it all feels like it's universally one design language and one environment. Therefore, making it for me a better land than some of the more popular ones that I've already talked about because of the way that I look at a design aesthetic. But if I have to tell you this year, what am I most thankful about Toontown? I mean, I could say it's the holiday decorations because by far it has some of the best holiday decorations you'll find at the entire Disneyland Resort. Have you ever stopped and noticed the different garlands that have a storytelling device to the building they're attached to? Just walk straight in, go up to the little fire station there and look at the garland that is made out of fire hose, hydrants, and different firefighting accessories. It's amazing. But no, I'm not going to say it's the garland, even though I do obviously love the garland. It's Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. This year at Disneyland to celebrate 100 years of Disney, even though the celebration was lacking, we got a brand new e-ticket attraction. And I don't care what you say. It's an e-ticket. It's an amazing adventure, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. With the technology, it really does feel like you're going inside of a cartoon. And it's a dark ride for a whole new generation that requires way more mental stimulation than what Peter Pan, Snow White, Pinocchio, or Toad can offer. Now, I'm not saying that it's better than those classic attractions. I'm just saying that it's suited better for a new generation of theme park fans that require more stimulation because their entire world exists in 10 second bites of entertainment. You have to be thankful for getting a world-class new attraction inside of your favorite theme park you have to be thankful that we have Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway with its amazing queue that makes it the superior version of the one out east. We got a new amazing ride. And that should be at the top of the list because that is something that will be enjoyed for generations and generations to come. Because Mickey Mouse finally has a ride system that is worthy of his legend. And it only took, what, 90-something years? to figure out a ride that is appropriate enough to put Mickey's name on it. And also, hashtag Goofy is innocent. Mickey Mouse framing him once again. Track switch! Now, to be honest, I had to really think about, does this land fall in this spot on my count up or countdown Casey Kasem style to the top? Starting out with the worst lands, working our way up to the best ones. Next, after Toontown, I have Fantasyland. And I'll tell you why I had to kind of struggle with Fantasyland. Because it is my least favorite land to walk through because it is chaos central. It's old. It doesn't have wide enough walkways to really keep up with the current demand. And some of the spots where strollers reside are wild. So 
classic Fantasyland around the carousel and the dark rides, that area is insane. But then I thought about how much I love the small world promenade and how much back there means to me. And when you take Matterhorn Way to get over, it's a small world and there's the quiet path you can walk with the bushes that keep Storybook Land and Casey Jr. out of our sight line. Well, Fantasyland also does have the Matterhorn in it. And the Matterhorn is just one of those beautiful design details of Disneyland. Go back and listen to last week's episode where I talk about when they made the decision to put the roller coaster inside of a mountain, they made a huge decision that would forever change the landscape of Disney parks and instantly create something different in the theme park space. And also, technically, Sleeping Beauty Castle is in Fantasyland, although I kind of feel like the hub is its own land, and I also feel like that icon is kind of separate of everything else. Also, it's just a walkthrough. It's a beautiful walkthrough. It's clever. It's full of art and creativity. But I I kind of put Sleeping Beauty just in its own little pocket because it means that much to me. So Fantasyland, it's such an important part of the park, but such a hard part of the park to walk through and navigate and not be frustrated. But when I thought about my gratitude and what I'm thankful for, even though sometimes walking through Fantasyland is the worst decision I make that day, it's hard not to walk through there and to really feel the magic because nearly anywhere you look is someone who still believes in Santa Claus, someone who still believes in Mickey Mouse and someone who the world hasn't kicked the shit out of them yet. And they still believe the magic is real. And as long as we all believe and go along with Santa, best dude ever, Mickey Mouse, most amazing guy ever and magic. It's absolutely happening right now, all around you. As long as we still believe, then they can believe in us. So walking through Fantasyland and just getting to catch a contact buzz of all the good vibes, something that will be better than all the hectic rides. This next one on my countdown is going to probably ruin this countdown for a lot of people. And they won't even think about the thankfulness or the gratitude or the good times and the vibes because they'll be so angry that I got it wrong. But I have to say, if I really emotionally think about what my favorite lands are based on their architecture, based on their navigation, storytelling, but also the amount of escapism they provide, friends, we only have four lands left. Unfortunately, at number four, to break your heart, I have the almighty New Orleans Square. Let me defend myself, and then I'll give you my gratitude. New Orleans Square is amazing. It is awesome, and I love it. However, kind of a bit of a hallway land, not as bad as others, But it is a little bit, I hate to say one-noted, but it kind of exists as a backdrop 
that you walk through and it's always consistently over to your left or to your right. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And don't get me wrong, I love it. And what I'm thankful for the most is I love walking through the square at night. Whenever I leave the park, I always try to go in that direction. And if I can, I love walking through the square. I love the patchwork of how the different lanes intersect. I love that there's actually street names there, Royal Street. I love that there's addresses on the buildings. I love that it feels like more of Main Street. One of the videos I did this year that I was really excited about was how I kind of told everybody, you have to think about New Orleans Square as an extension of Main Street USA. So being lost inside of the square itself is absolutely magical. And yes, Pirates and Mansion, easily two of the greatest rides ever done. But, but it is a little small. It is a little bit pushed over to the side. And it doesn't mean that it's not amazing because it is. But it also means that for my own personal preferences, there's three lands that I'm just a little bit more grateful for. And I like their design aesthetic just a little bit more. And now I have to dig out of this hole and try to convince you for my top three. Now into my top three lands. Number three. I remember walking through this land for the first time like I remember walking through the streets of Paris for the first time. I could not believe I was finally there after years of hype and construction. And when I got back there, I just thought, this will be mine for years to come. And I'll be able to explore it, enjoy it, and celebrate. Number three for me is Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Let me explain. The land itself is a perfect reflection of the films that it is inspired by. It is divided up into three different acts. Each act has its own identity of telling a story where you have the resistance, you have the first order, and in the middle, you have the transitional area, the Black Spire outpost, which is the townspeople that call this outer edge of the galaxy their home. But even more than having three stories or three acts that symbolize the trilogy of storytelling that makes up Star Wars. So they perfectly built it based on how the architecture is for the story that it's designed after. But the immersion, the architecture, I thought they would never build anything like New Orleans Square again, but they did. And they made it bigger and they gave you more twist, more turns, more little quiet spots. Essentially, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is a giant version of New Orleans Square. Just instead of being themed around New Orleans, it's themed around technically or superficially outer space. Whatever Star Wars means to you, that's what this is designed to be. But it's essentially the exact same layout. Two big rides, lots of hidden turns, and it just takes its time. But why I put this over New Orleans Square is those three keyhole entrances into this land. It's completely and totally separated from the rest of the park. It doesn't have music playing in it, which makes it very, very unique to the rest of the park. It has a soundscape playing in it. It is the most 
removed that you will ever feel from Disneyland when inside of Disneyland, which already feels removed from the rest of the world. It is escapism inside of escapism. I absolutely adore it. I love it. Sometimes when I'm filming a video, Galaxy's Edge may have nothing to do with that video, but I at least have to walk back there and see it. Why? Because I love it. But what I'm thankful about is this cut off feeling that it has from the rest of the park. I love that when I'm at Disneyland, it feels like escape from Disneyland, which is kind of like going on a vacation from your vacation. But sitting there on a bench, drinking water, rehydrating, taking my backpack off and just watching people walk by and marvel over it. I absolutely adore that. So that's one thing that I'm thankful for. But now as I'm getting into my top three, I'm going to give you multiple things that I'm thankful for. And what I'm thankful for about Galaxy's Edge is that it gave Star Wars fans a physical place to go and celebrate Star Wars. I go to Life Day every year. Every year, it gets bigger and bigger. In my video that I'll be dropping Tuesday over on Hey Bricky, I interviewed lots of Star Wars fans. And I got to talk to some gnarly people. The head of the 501, I got to talk to the guy who puts together uh, Life Day, Obi Sean, lots of different fans, my friend Nick from Think the Maker podcast. I talked to so many different people to have them tell me what is the true meaning of Life Day. And the answers were absolutely beautiful and encouraging. And to see all these people thankful that they now have a physical location where they can go and celebrate this thing that they love with other people that will not judge them because they love it just like they do and they can celebrate it together and get stoked from each other's celebration, you have to love Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. You have to love Batuu. Even if the attractions aren't perfect for you and even if there's not something for your little one to do, if you think about the aesthetic and if you think about what it gave to the community of Disneyland, that is what I'm thankful for because seeing all of those people celebrating their love of Star Wars, their, their love of Life Day, and really their love for their lives and their fandoms and these things that make them happy, even though it doesn't necessarily make them cool, it's awesome. And I will always be thankful for Batu that it gives that, not only to me, but also to you. Two to go on my gratitude for Thanksgiving and for Disneyland inside of the year 2023. Oh, what a year it's been. Just thankful for every year that I get to spend there or anywhere else. But I have two lands left and you're thinking, what could be left? Well, I personally, and maybe this is where I break your rules. So maybe you have to delete this one and move all of the other ones up a slot or move them all down a slot. But I personally believe that Rivers of America is its own land. It is not an extension of Frontierland, even though Frontierland bleeds into it perfectly, but it's also an extension of New Orleans Square and of Critter Country. How could it be an extension of all these lands? Well, it can't be. It's gotta be its own land. And I absolutely love the Rivers of America. I'll explain to you why. It's all about my own personal nostalgia. But first, let's talk about how Rivers of America interacts with the rest of Walt's vision of America. When you're on the river, you have 
the best view at everybody else living their life, living their Disneyland day. When you start at the edge of Frontierland and you go past the Riverbell Terrace, and you see all the folks slowing down, enjoying lunch or dinner, all the folks walking by, you see the cluster that is Pirates, but also the beautiful building that sits behind it, maybe a little glimpse of the treehouse, and then the best view of New Orleans Square. And I was saving this earlier in the podcast. When I said New Orleans Square is kind of one note, that one note that it plays beautiful is that it is a beautiful backdrop where you get to see all of the design decisions come together and it looks the most alive when you're actually not in the land. But floating by and being a good citizen of Disneyland by waving to everybody as you pass. Then the Rivers of America takes you to the edge of Critter Country where you get to enjoy what I said earlier that little dead end, that little quiet space. Then the river tells you its own story with its own characters, a unique view of the separation of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It takes you away from the park. It takes you away from everything else and transplants you truly someplace entirely different. When you get to see the train go by and the waterfall, you literally forget that you are inside of a theme park you forget that you're inside of Southern California because all the design decisions around you are not native to the landscape that is California. It is one of the most transformative experiences that Disneyland offers. And then the river brings you right back to where you started from. Symbolic, the water constantly flows. It is the circle of life. It is also the biggest circle at Disneyland. And have you ever thought about this? Disneyland actually has two hubs. The first hub that you see when you walk down Main Street, where the partner statue salutes you, and then you go, mm, I gotta make a decision. Which way do I want to go? Rivers of America is also the second hub, where as you walk around the river, all these different decisions and adventures are yours. You just have to decide when you give up on the river and take a left or a right onto one of these other paths that you want to go down. But maybe I'm biased because I was raised on the banks of the mighty Ohio River where steamboats went by my house every summer day of my childhood. And I could hear the sound of the organ playing from the Bell of Louisville. And then we'd line up on the shores of the Ohio River when the Delta Queen from Cincinnati would come down for the Kentucky Derby every year to race the Bell of Louisville, hoping that one of these boats could win the Golden Antlers, the most prestigious trophy in steamboat racing. Yeah, steamboat racing takes two hours for these boats to go from one bridge to the other one. And they're celebrating the oldest sporting event in America, the Kentucky Derby, that only takes two minutes. So it's the fastest two hours in steamboat racing to celebrate the fastest two minutes in sports, the Kentucky Derby. So yes, it is a reminder of home. It is a reminder of where I came from. But isn't that what Disneyland is all about? Creating nostalgia, taking you back to different chapters in your own history or maybe parts of history that you never got to experience? Disneyland, even though we are creating new memories, it's designed to be a memory of other chapters of your life or other chapters that you've heard about in others' lives. So the rivers of America, for me personally, and it may not be right for you, but this is my countdown, and I would urge you to think about it. When you're driving, rank your own lands. But for me, 
Rivers of America is the second best that Walt ever got it. And if you consider that in the center of Rivers of America, there's actually a park inside of the park. Tom Sawyer's Island remains pretty much untouched, unedited, and alone from everything else. If you really want to have a day, take the time to go out there and get away, and you'll realize, much like Manhattan needs Central Park, Disneyland needs the island. Because the island is so removed, it is so vast and adventurous, but gives you a different view on everything that you just did and everything that you will do. Rivers of America for me is so special, so magical, and for me as a person, it is everything that Disneyland tries to do. It tries to take you back into your past to make you really enjoy your present and your day at Disneyland. Obviously, there's not many lands left to guess what my number one is, but that's kind of how countdowns work. You always kind of know what's coming up at number one, right? After all the other pieces are laid out on the table. But friends, I absolutely love Main Street USA. I appreciate that it is the most untouched land at Disneyland. I appreciate all of the thought and care that went into making it absolutely perfect. And it has to be perfect because it's the first thing that you see. And oh, do I love at the beginning of every day seeing all the smiles on people's faces as they come through the tunnel on the right. People come in on the left, I care nothing about. But the people that come in on the tunnel on the right, to get it right, seeing their happiness as they enter into Main Street USA is awesome. But then also, it's the kiss goodbye at the end of the night when you walk slowly down that street with your feet killing, your body's tired, but your heart is full. And it's just that kiss goodbye of how perfect the world could be. And wherever you live, whatever town you're from, there's a little sliver of Main Street USA. There's a building, there's an old bank, there's a piece, there's a part here or there, but it's just a little chunk. Only at Main Street USA do we get to see it all together, the way that we think that it used to be, even though it was never as good as it is. It is a fictional retelling of the best that America could do. But I find it hard to believe that America was ever that good, that it ever had that many fresh coats of paint, that everything was always perfectly manicured and trimmed. People may think that it was that way. They may think that when they watched Leave it to Beaver, those folks had it all figured out. But people have always had problems. People have always had troubles. But Main Street USA edits that out. It just simply gives us the optimism on the way in that today's going to be a great day. And on the way out, it gives us the nostalgia that today absolutely was a great and memorable day. I love the Main Street vehicles going up and down the road. I'm so thankful that they're back and that they hit it hard in the morning and they hit it hard at night. And those are really the two times that Main Street USA really shines when the story begins and later on when your story ends. I am thankful 
that it keeps nostalgia alive, that it keeps this vision of what could have been or what should have been still around us, even though it's hard to find. And if you're like me, friends, and you love miniatures and you love models and you've only ever wanted to have a model train so you could build a village around it, I love that when I walk down Main Street USA, I feel like I'm walking in one of those little models. And this time of the year, I love that I feel like I'm walking around the village at the bottom of a Christmas tree. My thankfulness and my gratitude for Main Street USA is unending, just like how the joy that it gives me is unending. But if you had to ask me what I'm really thankful about the most on Main Street USA, it's all about the benches, baby. It's all about the benches. And I suggest you should try sitting in one. And if you can do it for more than 16 hours, I'll give you a big hug and a high five and hand you over my trophy. But until then, I will remain the benchmark. And I will remain thankful for all of the different things that I find each and every trip at Disneyland. But most importantly, what I'll always remain thankful for the most is each and every one of you. No one should care about my opinions. No one should care about how I go to the park. No one should give two shits about what I do at Disneyland. And the fact that you do and that you listen to the podcast or you watch YouTube, maybe you DM me, maybe you write me, maybe you go on this journey with me, that matters the most. Because when you love something, you love sharing it. And knowing that I get to take so many people with me to Disneyland each and every time I go, that don't get to go there as often as I do. That is one of the things that I will always be so thankful for. And I can't even tell you what it means to me when I finally get that shot or I finally find that moment. I just go, oh man, people are going to love this. And what I mean when I say that is, I can't wait for people to see this. I can't wait to share this. I really do feel like when I talk into the camera, I'm not talking into my Sony. I'm talking to a friend and it makes everything else go away because that day I'm there with my buds. Friends, thank you so much for showing up for episode 98 of Disneyland for Designers. What I'm thankful for this year at Disneyland. And if you would like to see what other folks are thankful for, make sure you go over to Hey Bricky on YouTube this Thanksgiving day where I'll be dropping my Thanksgiving video where I asked so many different people, cast members, friends, strangers, just anybody who said hi to me on the first day of Christmas said, can you do me a favor? Would you please be in my Thanksgiving video? I even asked people that are foreigners that don't even know what Thanksgiving is or that they should even be thankful. But I just like to create world peace one Disneyland trip at a time. Thank you so much for showing up. I cannot wait till I see you the next time on Main Street USA or back here on the podcast. Don't forget, if you would like to support the podcast, please become a member of club1313.com where you get to see exclusive behind the scenes footage of me recording the podcast. And also don't forget that if you want to ring it in during the holidays and still have a good time, then my wife has an amazing book called Holiday Harmony, a compassionate guide to balanced eating and living during the holidays. You can get it over at bethmanosbricky.com, where if you use the coupon code Bricky, you can take $5 off and it is a 45 page book that will perfectly help you guide staying on that middle path so you don't fall off the deep end or go so hard on dieting that you just find out that you're sulking in the corner because guess what? You can't have that piece of cake 
You just don't need to have everything else. All right, friends. I hope you have a wonderful and happy Thanksgiving. And I cannot wait till I see you sometime real soon again inside of Disneyland.